I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hi, everyone. I'd like to start out by wishing all the mothers of this podcast a happy Mother's Day. We're so grateful to the women of the world, both past and present, who've nurtured us into the people we are today. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Stephanie Panario of Shed Textile Company. Shed Textile Company focuses on the art of hand weaving and local fibers in New York State. The fibers used in her pieces are hand-sourced locally from farmers, spinners, shearers, dyers, makers, tradesmen, and the countless regional fiber festivals that dot the countryside every year. Each artisanal design is created by hand, beginning with the initial stages of fiber selection to hand warping, dressing the loom, and then woven on traditional floor looms. Hello, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us about your background and how you found yourself in the wonderful world of textiles? Sure. Uh, My name is Stephanie Panario, and I own a small business called Shed Textile Company. Um, I started the business in 2018 after a long career in advertising. Uh, I was a New Yorker, and I lived uh, in the East Village, and I was a creative director in advertising, and I did that for about 20 years, Uh, and I was getting older, And one day I just decided um, I was going to make a change because I had always loved textiles. And whenever I met someone who was a textile designer or even a uh, furniture designer, I was always so jealous (laughs) of what they did. Um, And so I decided to enroll myself into an accelerated one-year textile design program at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. Um, I completed that, and then uh, I made a big change, and I moved out of New York. I moved to the east end of Long Island to a little place known as the North Fork. It's so beautiful. It's got uh, it's all farms and vineyards and ocean and, you know, small town living. So I actually, I moved out here and I got a job um, with someone in the Hamptons. It was another small business. And I started out by designing wallpaper and we did all handmade wallpapers and digital wallpapers. And that's where I got my start. I spent about three, three and a half years there, um, just kind of learning how to run a small business. Um, and then I bought a loom and that's kind of where it all started. Uh, I always loved textiles. I love wallpaper too, but I always love the wovens more. Um, and I love the hands-on, uh, part of it. So Wow, I actually lived in New York for eight years. You and did? Yeah, and I also <laughs> saw that you studied at Parsons as well. I actually right. graduated from Parsons. You did? Yeah. <laughs> what did you study? 
Um, so I studied integrated design and my focus was alternative fashion strategies and social practice. Wow. Parsons is going through or when I was there was going through a change in their program. And so they had started to create more of a space for fashion designers and fashion majors who are interested in focusing on natural fibers. And I think while I was there, they got their first, you know, shipment of floor looms and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. that is amazing. So, yeah, when I went to Parsons, it was in that was my first time going to college. And that was out of high school in the early 90s. And I studied communication design. Um, And this was pre-computer. So it was about halfway through my bachelor program at Parsons that they said, guess what? You're going to have this new class. It's called computer design. (laughs) And everyone was like... (laughs) Uh, And then that's how it all started. And that's how I ended up getting into advertising. But yeah, I don't, you know, back then... Parsons didn't have any kind of textile. I mean, they had textile like surface design, but I don't remember any kind of looms or anything like that there. Yeah. And was it the same at FIT? Um, So then when I went back, I did the FIT. uh, They had that one year program and they had a very robust weaving program. So uh, it was a great school and a great experience. Unfortunately, Um, I really wanted to focus on weaving, um, but in the one-year program, it was, you know, you had set classes you needed to take, and you could only go so far in the weaving. So I never got, I was able to take some advanced classes, but definitely not as many as I had wanted to. Mm. So pretty much then when I got out of there, I mean, I had minimal weaving skills, but I literally, like, weaving to me is so complex that I still feel like a novice. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. I think in ten <laughs> years from now, I'll still feel like a novice. Like it's always every time I sit down to do something, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> this is how this works." It's like my my brain literally every time I do it seems like uh, I'm still just learning it all over again. It's amazing. Mm. So, what were some of the early projects that you worked on when you were first beginning weaving? Did you start with floor looms or were you using frame looms? Right. So, I had moved out here. um, And like I said, I was designing wallpaper. And so, I was still pretty much doing the work on the computer all day because I was pretty much in charge of all the digital wallpapers. Um, So when I bought my first loom, um, you know, I just wanted something that was going to be versatile. Um, And I bought, I ended up buying a shacked baby wolf, four shaft, but you could convert it to eight shafts later. So I just started with the four shafts. Um, It was, I think the 36 inch, because I knew I wanted to be doing um, home textiles. I was not interested in fashion at all. Um, and so that was the loom I got and I pretty much just, you know, started to experiment with it. The whole thing, like, I feel like the whole thing has been an experiment. Um, and luckily for me, I was working at a, it was a small company, but it had a very big reach to it. And so the woman I was working with said, you know, why don't you just start making some, um, you know, fabrics and we'll make pillows. And she had a showroom over in East Hampton. 
in New York. Um, and she said, we'll put them in the showroom and we'll see how they do. And, and that's literally how it started. And so the first thing I started making was pillows. And so how did you go from making pillows and, and just being at the very beginning of weaving to creating Shed Textile Co.? Um, so I, I think somewhere in my mind, I kind of always knew that's where I was heading, you know, like, I think I always kind of knew that I wanted to have my own business. Um, but it was definitely a long journey. I feel like a lot of it, a lot of all of my decisions in my life have kind of always come about organically. It's not like anything I've ever really forced. It was just kind of you know, following my heart and following what I wanted to do. And, um, and just also my experience working in a small company, um, that was creating, you know, mass amounts of product by hand. And when we were, um, you know, working on digital fabrics. We were also printing. We had a large format Epson printer and we were printing everything in-house. Um, and then at some point we decided to launch a commercial uh, level wallpaper covering, So, which is pretty much vinyl. They call it high performance. And so we started doing all this research of how to, you know, get this, get the vinyl high performance wallpaper produced. And finally, the woman I worked for said, because, uh, you know, we're, we were getting numbers and, and the numbers weren't adding up and how much it would cost to get this produced if we outsourced it. And she finally just said, well, I'm just going to buy the machine and we'll just print it here, which I was like, what? <laughs> because that meant it was my job to run the machine. Right. So <laughs> anyway, but I think that like um, that do it yourself mentality you know, that's how I, she kind of taught me how to go about things. And that really spoke to me and made sense to me. And it's the same for me now doing shed textile. Um, you know, sometimes I think, okay, well, what if I get an order? Like, how am I going to scale up? What if I get an order that I can't handle? Um, you know, how would I do that? And at one point I did start contacting, you know, small local weaving studios to kind of get some pricing and understand, okay, if I did need to outsource something, you know, how much would it cost? Would it make sense? You know, do the numbers add up? And again, I always go back to, well, why wouldn't I just hire someone and teach them how to do it? And I think that is, again, I, I haven't gotten there yet, but, um, that is definitely how I would like to run my business. Uh, you know, I would like to keep as much of it in-house as possible. Mm. And so when you started, you were the primary weaver making the textiles? Yeah, I still wow. am. <laughs> really? Wow, that yes. is, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's me. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering, you know, I'm just I just had flashes of your schedule because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How? It's a lot. It's a but you know, it's a lot of jumping around, you know, you wear a lot of different hats, you know, one day I'm working on my website, the next day, you know, I'm going to be weaving something and and it it does take uh it it can be very trying because 
to shift gears like that, like a lot of times it, I do have a hard time shifting gears, like, you know, from going from, okay, e-commerce and I'll be doing that for weeks and working on something on my website. And then I have to, you know, turn around and say, okay, now I'm going to fulfill this order. Let me go over to this, you know, wooden contraption <laughs> and weave something is like very, you know, jarring mm. at times. <laughs> And can you speak to some of your textiles specifically? What kind of weaves are you making and what kind of techniques are you using to produce fabrics? So, um, you know, when I first started, I was pretty much just experimenting. And, you know, I had a small cachet of fibers that I had collected over the years and I just kind of, you know, said, oh, look, I like, I think this looks interesting. I'm going to make a warp with this. And, you know, being, it was very experimental. And I just started like, you know, I would pick a, you know, I would just pick a weave pattern that I thought was interesting. And I would just start experimenting that way and using different fibers and, um, you know, really kind of pushing the boundaries there. But then what happened was, so then I, you know, produced about maybe 10 pillows, my first batch of pillows that I made. So I get these pillows made and we put them in the showroom and some designer comes in and says, oh, these, these are great. I'd love these. You know, can I have five more of these? (laughs) Then I was like, oh no, (laughs) I I don't know what I did. Like I was just like, you know. Like, I don't even know where I got that uh, spool of yarn from. I don't even, you know, like, and so I learned oh, very, okay. I learned very, very fast <laughs> that as, you know, for as creative as you want to be, you really have to, you have to be able to reproduce it, you know, and so you have to track what you're doing, how you're doing it, what you're using, what the pattern was, you know, how many ends you used. <laughs> so literally it was like, the first lesson I learned. So there was that lesson. And then because I had the experience working um, in the home design industry and in wallpaper, I was used to launching collections, you know, for every season. And so then I started to kind of incorporate that into my work of, okay, well, I'm going to do a spring collection Um, and I slowly, you know, started making sense of it and keeping, you know, I have something that's called a recipe book and that's where, you know, for every collection I've launched, I, you know, log exactly what I did, what the pattern was, all the details, what fiber I used, you know, where did I source the fiber from? Can, how much more can I get? How, how fast can I get it? What are the lead times? So there's so much that goes into it. Um, but the further I've I've come in this whole process, which it's only been two years. So like that's what I said. Like I can't even imagine what's gonna what it's gonna be like in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> in the two years that I've been doing it, um I've found that I I started like pushing into more intricate patterns because I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. Like I was supposed to be advancing, you know, (laughs) as far as my techniques and my skills. And 
I've done, you know, I ended up converting my small four shaft loom into an eight shaft and I ended up doing a whole collection with eight shaft weaves. Um, and I have to say like in the end, I actually, I'm, I'm going back more to, um, I like the simplicity better. Like one of my friends always teases me. She's like, do something in color. Like God, (laughs) (laughs) like what? Because she's like, you know, she's been in my house. She's like, your house is so colorful. And it is like, my house looks nothing like what my products look like or what my weavings look like. Um, And I try to do color all the time. And I don't know why it just doesn't work for me. I think maybe it's because weaving and color is so hard, which I do. I think it's like one of the hardest things um, that I always just fall back on the neutrals. Or I don't know, there's just something about the neutrals that work. And I think, but I think it's that I'm, that I prefer simplicity. Like, and so even with the eight shaft loom, I tend to like, just recently, I just even thought, I don't even really want the eight shafts. Like, I just need the four. I like simple, like the last um, collection I just designed for this spring, 2020, um, it's called the Pine Barrens Collection, and it's based, my inspiration was the Pine Barrens out in Long Island. Um, and I really just did, everything was just simple, like literally plain weave. Like half of it was plain weave. And I just loved it. And it was just in, you know, neutrals, whites, a little bit of gray, um, you know, and I added just small elements of intrigue like I did you know like a little patch of lino weave at one end of it but the rest of it was just literally all plain weave (laughs) and would you say you have a source of inspiration for using neutrals and sort of sticking to a plain weave like would you say that that represents I guess I'm thinking of Long Island and the beaches and sort of the way of life yeah. um, and the aesthetic. No, you know, it's funny. I Other people have asked me that and everyone thinks, oh, you live at the beach and you must get so much inspiration from that. And I'm always like, no. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful and I love it. <laughs> but I'm actually more of a farm person. <laughs> mm. Like I, I literally, it's like, because I think that's what's so great about uh, being out here is that it is farm mixed with beach, uh, which is like one of the greatest combinations. Um, but I think most of my inspiration actually comes from the fiber itself. And I think just natural fibers, the nuances of natural fiber are, I think, far exceed for me personally, far exceed um, the allure of color. That's really beautiful. I never thought of it in that way as far Mm -hmm. as the upstate New York being a place that is also beachy as well as having farms. And a lot of people really don't know how diverse the farming industry is. Yeah. No, I know. It's amazing. I literally, I'm amazed by it. Like, I'll go out and, you know, I go down to the end of my road and I make a left and there's literally a field with cows in it. And I'm always like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. (laughs) Like, Look at where I live. There's cows around the corner from my house. (laughs) (laughs) It's still shocking to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, because literally I was like a city slicker. I was, you know, 25 years <laughs> New Yorker. So, you know, it's, uh, it amazes me the change I made in my life. And like, I look out the window and I'm like, look at where I live. This is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I love it. it's funny you mentioned that because that's kind of how it was for me when I moved from New York to South Carolina. Like it was like, huh, the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But can you speak specifically to your immediate farming and fiber surroundings? Like, how are you able to connect with fiber farmers and other textile artists in the area? Yep. So, um, like I said, for me, this has just been this amazing learning journey. Um, And... Honestly, when I started, I don't even know how I was getting by because I really knew nothing. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I had, you know, I did the one year program and granted there was a one class you had to take. It was fi- um, fabric science and you learned about fibers and, you know, how fibers were made, but it was really more on a scientific level you know like how fibers are dyed there's batch dyeing there's piece dyeing you know how what kind of machine twists the fibers together and so I had some knowledge but really no idea of how the fiber process worked so um when I got out here um, I think the whole thing started with me trying to source fibers because it was, it's, it's the landscape of fiber sourcing is, you know, so enormous and overwhelming. It was really hard for me to grasp like where I was supposed to be looking or or what kind of company I was even supposed to be going to to be getting this information or this product. Um, And so I pretty much ended up landing on a kind of regional approach, which was um, going to local fiber fairs. And so luckily for me being in New York, we have one of the greatest fiber fairs here in New York. It's up in Rhinebeck, the New York Sheep and Wool Festival. So um, I started going to all of those events. And I was going to the Connecticut Sheep and Fiber and the Massachusetts Sheep and Fiber. Um, and so that just kind of naturally started leading me down this road. Well, first of all, to wool. Um, and then the whole wool processing, the wool process. So, uh, what ended up happening was I started really mainly working with wool because that's where I was going to source the fibers and that was making sense to me. And I loved also just, you know, and then you're getting into small batch fiber makers. Um, and for me and my love of natural fiber and, and just finding all the nuances of natural fiber, the most, you know, being the most beautiful for me, um, you know, getting into that small batch world of fiber production 
was creatively made sense to me. And so I ended up, you know, starting to become familiar with all these different local fiber producers and then realized, okay, well, there's actually fiber producers close to where I live. Um, and then I ended up connecting with them because, you know, like I said, I do live in a farming community and a lot of the farmers have sheep just to take care of their fields. Um, and so I ended up connecting with a local farmer here. The name of the company is Browder's Birds and they're mainly a poultry producer, but they have sheep because they need the sheep to graze in the fields. And then they have to shear the sheep because <laughs> it's like this whole process. They have to shear the sheep. And so then now they have all this wool and they're like, what are we going to do with all this wool? <laughs> um, and so I ended up doing a piece, a woman that I had met out here, she worked for Newsday um, and she was really interested in what I was doing. And she said, pitch me an idea. Let's do, let's do a story together. And I was like, oh, let's, let's figure out how wool is processed. Like, wouldn't that be cool? And so her and I just kind of went off and we contacted Holly Browder from Browder's Birds and said, hey, so where do you get your wool processed? And she connected us with bat and kill fibers up in upstate New York. And they said, yeah, you want to come up here and see how it's done? And we said, yeah, we do. And I was like, you know, we just kind of like went along and ended up on this whole journey of um, follow, we called it following the wool. Um, and that's pretty much how. Uh, I learned how wool was processed and, you know, just kept on getting deeper and deeper into that whole thing. Um, since then I have now, I'm, now I'm doing more cotton and learning more about the cotton industry, but, uh, I did a lot of wool for the first two years. It's so interesting that you mentioned bat and kill fibers because they won the podcast a few weeks ago. They were? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, well, yeah. we had the founder on and she was telling us. Mary Jean? Yep. Mary Jean Packard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yep. we had her on the podcast. It was a wonderful conversation. She has such a beautiful yeah. story because I believe they are the last um, wool processing um, yeah. meal in, in the Catskills, I believe. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's it was it's it's so interesting. <laughs> uh, I know to hear about how people are sort of connecting and finding each other on their own. Yeah, I know. And so and that's the great thing is like this whole thing has just been, you know, like such an amazing journey of, you know, discovery and like, you know, there was nothing better than going up there and and watching and seeing how wool was processed and it was great. It was absolutely great. And then so now for me, like the same thing is happening where for me, it seemed like, you know, this chance encounter with Mary Jean from Bat and Kill. But now as I'm developing more of my sourcing and my vendors and, you know, building source books for, for myself, you know, it's amazing how many people are connected. Like I keep on like same thing with you like I keep on coming back to people that are like oh yeah bat and kill or or you know different weavers or textile studios so there is this whole little microcosm of a world and oh also the other thing was um I discovered Clara Parks who wrote uh 
what was the book called? <laughs> what was the book called? Um, oh, oh, let me look it up. She, she's written several books, uh, and she has the website Knitter's Review. Yeah. So, oh, so this was another thing that happened to me, which was, um, you know, I was constantly on the hunt for uh, different fibers and, like, really cool stuff in small batch. And, you know, the weaving community, I feel, is at such a disadvantage because it's such a complex thing to do. And you need this, you need a loom and you need all this stuff. And the knitting world has, like, you know, endless resources. And there's the knitters, you know, form and the knitters, you know. And I'm like, how come the knitters are getting all the attention <laughs> like where are the weavers and so it, it took me a long time so what I did was I started tapping into the knitters world as well because I was like just because they're you know what you know company a is marketing their product to knitters doesn't mean me as a weaver wouldn't find it equally as interesting and want to use it you know so I also started going into the knitting world to source things. So anyway, it was Clara Parks. She wrote the book Vanishing Fleece, which is pretty much the same concept where she gets a bale of wool and she produces it. She turns it into, she has four different um, fibers made from it. And that to me was just like eye-opening wow moment. <laughs> We also actually had Clara Parks on the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was um it was also another really, really beautiful story about not just the creation of wool, but also she tracks the downfall of yeah, fibers in America and our manufacturing yep. system and you mm -hmm. know, really is able to capture the stories of people working in this industry who are still there and still have the passion. I think that what's happening is there is sort of a revolution happening within the American textile fiber garment production yep. industry where we're not really going towards these really large manufacturing companies where we make, yep. you know, thousands of things at small prices we're doing smaller batches that are more expensive mm -hmm. but they're artisanally made and, yes. and people are becoming more aware of the importance of supporting smaller businesses and just quality yeah. over quantity and and all of those things that really make supporting local business small businesses artisanal businesses yep. so much more important than these large corporations and companies yeah i know and i like literally at this point and Again, this came about organically as well, but I, I can't, if it's not made in the USA at this point, I feel like fundamentally and morally, like I can't buy it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as far as fiber, as, as far as my sourcing fibers, like I can't, if it's not here, I'm like, no, I'll find someone here that's doing it. I don't, I don't want to source from anywhere else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something that I'm also really curious about that we ask a lot of people who join the podcast is what it's like or how you're able to sustain your practice because it is really difficult being an entrepreneur, business owner, also working in smaller batches, um, which tends to be more expensive. What have been some of the challenges that you've encountered and also what are the ways that you've been able to sustain? 
Um, so pretty much I have had to, for the most part, have some secondary income coming in um, during this whole process. So I can literally take that secondary income and throw it right back in <laughs> to shed textile. Um, and I think that's just the nature of a small business and a startup. Um, you really need funds to keep it going. Um, and so luckily I've been able to financially manage that. Um, it's been difficult and I've, you know, just taken small part-time jobs and literally I'm, it's, I'm only doing it to fund the business, um, which I think at least, you know, I consider myself lucky because a lot of people have to take out a small business loan and I actually haven't had to do that yet. I've been able to um, just use my finances um, to keep it going. And then as far as maintaining it, um, you know, a lot of people are very interested in this story. So that's been great and I've gotten you know a fair amount of media coverage because people do like that story and and there is I think a whole movement going on for small businesses and artisanal um, and so it's a niche market but it's a growing market so I think that has helped sustain me and of course just my passion for what I'm doing that um, you know it's a joy for me to do this every day. So I consider myself unbelievably lucky that I am able to do it. Amazing. And do you have any new projects or future prospects that you'd like to share with our listeners? So I think for me, I would love, I'm really lately into the idea of more collaboration. Um, you know, cause weaving can be, you, it is such a solitary thing, you know, um, I would love to kind of expand my business into more of a textile studio that people are coming to, to develop new creative, um, as opposed to me just, you know, singularly creating something and putting it out in the world. Um, so I would love more collaboration. Um, and I would also like to get, you know, just, I would love to get my product into some showrooms. You know, I'm doing retail now and I'm doing e-commerce, but I would love to tap more into the interior design trade and getting into showrooms. Um, and almost kind of, you know, being a resource for designers to create product for their clients. Mm, so you want to kind of be like um, a design firm in a sense? I guess so. Yeah. I didn't think of it in that way, but I guess, yes, that's what I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I asked because eventually when I get to that iteration or that point in my project that's something that I'm also interested in doing is sort of figuring out a way to be a liaison between farmers and fiber makers and also be able to communicate products to a commercial market right it's a lot there's you know there's so many aspects 
to owning your own business and you know you have like I said you have to wear so many different hats mm. so it, it's a lot to think about um but like I said uh for me it's been an organic process of just kind of following my heart and what feels right to me yeah that's really beautiful thank you and where can people go on social media or the internet to follow your work and to also support? So you can go, for Shed Textile, you can go to my website, which is shedtextile.com. Um, and pretty much anything you need, you can find there. I have uh, all my products on there. Um, it is e-commerce. I have... Um, my stockist, if you're looking to go to uh, an actual retail storefront, brick and mortar, you can find that list there. Um, you can also follow me on social media. I mainly use Instagram, and it's Shed Textile Co. Great. So before you go, we have a question that we ask everyone that joins a podcast, and that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Um, I do. I think uh, that you should always do what feels right to you. Follow your instincts. And that if you have a true passion for what you're doing, you will never fail at that. You will always be a success. So follow your heart and gut and do what's right and create beautiful things for the world. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. If you're interested in seeing more of Stephanie's work, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode 106. Next week on the podcast, Sarah is talking to Liz Sietzma, the founder of Wild Hand, a supply shop for fiber folks in Philadelphia. They talk about her journey to starting Wild Hand and the beautiful community that they're cultivating there, how they're adapting in this time of social distancing, and much more. Tune in next Monday to hear that story. And until next time, 